The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Today, are you beyond the realm of being saved? Can you be saved? 
Many of you that listen to this broadcast are only half converted. You still walk in coldness of heart. You still walk in rejection of allowing Jesus to have full control over some portion of your life. Can you be saved? Don't answer quickly. To be saved means to be brought out of our sin. It means to be transformed into a new creature. It means completely renovated heart and mind and soul. It means to be given over utterly and completely to Jesus. These are not just nice words. This is reality. The Apostle Paul, writing in the book of Romans, he says it like this, And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Instead of the word debauchery, had Paul been writing this today, he probably would have included some other things like fantasy sports. He probably would have included many of the entertainments that divert us, that sidetrack us from the heart of Jesus Christ. He says, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourselves, or literally, in the Greek, wrap yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This amazing grace. I don't know how to even talk about it. It's not cheap grace. It's amazing grace. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's it's grace that overwhelms the heart with the love of God and transforms a man or a woman into literally the likeness of Jesus. And Jesus comes and dwells in that person. They no longer lust after the things of this world. And many of you are listening today as half-converted Christians. You can dance with the world, and then you come and try to dance with God. It breaks my heart. This song, Amazing Grace, was written by a man 
who found himself in the depths of sin. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. This song, Amazing Grace, was written by a slave trader, a man who actually profited from the buying and selling of human beings. That's like saying that a man or a woman who is an abortionist, a person who is the president of Planned Parenthood, could turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. That's like saying that someone who is constantly walking in in violence, assassination, could turn and be saved. Can the Lord Jesus Christ by the blood shed on Calvary, forgive the worst of sinners? Can Jesus Christ transform the life of a man or woman totally given to sin? Can he transform them into his likeness? And we would all answer, oh, yes, he can. But can the Lord Jesus Christ save a lukewarm Christian? Or will he spit them out of his mouth? Amazing Grace was written by a man who acknowledged that he needed the grace of God to be saved. He needed that divine influence to move in his heart and in his life to cause him to repent of his sin and to transform his life. It was a man who suffered a man who had been a slave, a man who had been whipped and flogged, and then a man who became a slave trader. This man is an unlikely candidate to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. But I find sometimes the very worst turn out to be the very best. Nikki Cruz with David Wilkerson, and I could name many others. The God stepped into their life in a miraculous manner. The man who gave me the story of John Newton that I'm sharing with you today is one of those men who was caught in the depths of sin. And God reached down with magnificent power and turned his heart to Jesus Christ. He's asked that I not give his name, but he has been helping me with this broadcast, for which I'm very grateful. And he shared with me the story of John Newton, born 1725, died 1807. He was born in England, the son of a merchant sailor, he was already at sea by the age of 11. Between the ages of 11 and 19, he had already been out to the British Isles, to Scandinavia, to the Mediterranean, 
Now, you understand, life on the seas in the 1700s was an extremely dangerous proposition. The age when you were in junior high school, he was surrounded by pirates and gunfights and every other wicked thing you can imagine. He was not watching the wickedness on television. He was watching it played out in real time, in real life, in front of his eyes. And of course, he immediately was drawn into the depths of all of this wickedness. Prostitutes, violence, murder. This was the world John Newton grew up in. He was not a soft man. Today, this beautiful song, Amazing Grace, was sung by Susan Boyles, one of my favorite vocalists. Soft and pleading and kind. That was not who John Newton was. It's who he became. Transformed and changed, but that was not the man he was. At the age of 19, John Newton was captured by the British Navy and impressed into its service. Now, being pressed into service is not something we're familiar with here in America. But if you were alive during the Vietnamese War, you remember the draft. Being pressed into service by Great Britain meant that you were essentially kidnapped, put in shackles, and carried off to serve in a ship. It was more like a prison. And if you said no, you were killed. Or you were sent to a prison that was a death sentence. Can you imagine that American colonists in New York's uh, area were pressed into service by Great Britain in 1757 in New York City? Several thousand armed British troopers invaded the city and arrested or kidnapped 800 military-aged men at gunpoint and forced those who were physically fit 400 of these men to serve in the British Navy. This continued even after the Revolutionary War of 1775. After we had gained independence from England, and in the late 1700s and early 1800s, some 9,000 United States citizens were arrested by the British military and forced as slaves into their warships. This was one of the factors that led to the War of 1812. We should not take freedom lightly. In America, we are beginning and are in fact losing our freedoms. And most Americans don't even realize it. We're losing our freedoms in America through government actions, through their agencies, and in many other ways. We are now tracked on the Internet. Facebook, 
We're tracked with our cell phones. Our cars are tracked. There are license plate readers constantly out on the road. We have lost our privacy in America. Video cameras are constantly running when you're in the city. We are taxed illegally in many respects. And money is stolen from the American citizen. Health care has now shot up dramatically because the leadership of our government knowingly lied to the American people and said your health care cost will go down, but it has inevitably skyrocketed. If the United States government cannot take care of our veterans, what makes us think that they can take care of all of America as they have now nationalized our health care? You are now being censored in social media if you say certain things. You are not allowed to speak about some parts of what you might want to talk about. As these freedoms are taken, freedoms that Americans have taken for granted, like the freedom to assemble, the freedom to have a firearm, to protect your family and your home, or for sporting purposes, as you lose your freedom of privacy, as the press is utterly taken over by corporate, we lose and have lost television stations and radio stations that will honestly report the news. Instead, our newscasters have become extensions of the federal government, carrying a party line. Is it any wonder that NBC, CBS, and other stations have dropped so dramatically in viewership and listeners? If there's any one thing this story of John Newton will tell us, it is that freedom is one of the most precious gifts God gives to his people. And it is time to awaken our salvation is very close or our damnation is very close. So John Newton, 19 years of, old, of age, forced to serve on the British man of war, the HMS Harwich. It is well known that forced service in the British Navy in the 1700s would have been an extremely hard existence. 
it's probably very much like being aboard a floating prison. Newton rejected his forced service, and he found a way and deserted. He escaped his ship. It was a decision that he would shortly regret. He was caught, and he was whipped by a British naval officer until he was bloodied, broken, humiliated, And shortly after this severe flogging, he was exchanged to work aboard a slave ship. He actually volunteered for this, probably thinking it would be better than direct Navy service. History does not tell us what his thoughts were regarding this exchange going to a slave ship. It's hard to put together parts of his life. There's nothing that we could research. But we know that after transferring to this slave ship, he became the personal servant of a slave trader. And then he was himself forced into total slavery. He was imprisoned while at sea. He was chained With the slaves on board the ship, he was taken to a slave plantation in Sierra Leone, Africa, where for five years he was treated as a slave, beaten, forced to work, held captive. It was brutal, brutal service. In 1748, the 23-year-old was rescued by a sea captain who had been asked by Newton's father to search for his son. In 1748, on a voyage home during a violent storm, Newton marks this point as his conversion to the Christian faith. He was sailing in the North Atlantic. A violent storm came upon the ship. It was so rough, the waves were sweeping the deck, and a crew member who was standing where Newton had been but moments before was swept away and drowned in the sea. After many hours of the crew struggling at the pumps, emptying water from the ship, expecting to be capsized. Newton and another man tied themselves to the ship's pumps to keep from being washed overboard. Now Newton begins to cry out, Lord, have mercy upon us. Newton then rested briefly before returning to the deck to steer for the next 11 hours in these wild seas and during this time at the wheel. He pondered 
the divine challenge he had issued, Lord, have mercy upon us. And Newton finally began to cry out to Jesus. After spending his teens on the ocean, then the years as a midshipman in the Navy and a slave ship and a servant and a slave, Newton decided that he would go into the slave trade for himself. And despite suffering as a slave personally, despite being whipped and flogged, beaten, Newton made regular voyages to Africa, the West Indies, and North America, dealing in the trading of human beings. Many of these slaves died in the ship. But God was already pulling on Newton's heart. But Newton, like many of us, half converted, expecting and asking the Lord Jesus to protect him and guard him, while at the same time unmercifully dealing with the children of God. Newton wanted Money. This action on John Newton's part just vividly displays the utter depravity of a man's heart. I can imagine that a man could call himself a Christian and perform abortions. I suppose that a man could call himself a Christian and order the attacks on innocent nations, causing mayhem and misery and death. All for career, the glory of man, and money. How could this man who had actually experienced five years of slavery, who had been beaten and shackled, how could this man, who has had his back lashed, how could this man who has slaved in the hot sun of Africa, how could this man become a slaver? How could he profit from men and women and children losing their lives and losing their families and being torn out of their communities and their culture? This terrible choice is probably what he was referring to in Amazing Grace when he said, saved a wretch like me. John Newton was the worst kind of human wretch. It'd be easier to tell this story if we could alter the facts a little. It would make more sense if Newton was a slave trader and then repented and then spent a life in ministry, but that's not how it happened. Newton calling himself a Christian, profited from the flesh 
of men after the Lord had begun to reveal himself. It breaks my heart. Because some men never make it out of that wicked place of playing with the world and calling themselves a Christian. Many of you listening to this broadcast will die hell-bound because you never were willing to totally surrender your heart and die out to your flesh. You demanded the right to live and act like the world, denying your Savior, all the time attending church and giving your offerings, being a deacon or an elder or an armor bearer or some other place, a position of honor, a pastor. Many pastors will not make it into the kingdom of heaven because they are just men of flesh. They've never been broken before the throne of God. They're just half converted. Now, during these, these years, the Holy Spirit began to call John Newton deeper. He, he began to create deep convictions in his heart. Until finally John Newton had a second revelation of Jesus Christ. He had made the decision that he was going to leave the slave trade. And he decided that he was going to be a captain of a non-slave cargo ship. And he was going to leave the slave trade altogether. He was 30 years of age. God was calling him off the seas. But he could not understand that God was calling him to leave the ocean because that's all he'd known. And so he was stricken with an illness that caused him to collapse. And because of that, he was never able to sail again. Now, it's hard to understand what this illness was because he lived healthily until the age of 82 when he finally passed and met his master and his maker. But God chose to remove him from his life on the sea in a very painful manner because God had great plans for this man to use this man, even as God used this wicked man called Saul of Tarsus. For the next 50 years, he would find his true love in the Word of God. Now he became a customs agent, a surveyor, and finally, he became a preacher, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wrote hundreds of hymns and poems. We've just played one of those for you, Amazing Grace. It was his best known. 
He drew large congregations when he would preach. He held prayer meetings. He discipled men. And his hymn that we have all known, Amazing Grace, has literally touched millions and millions of lives for generations. God used a slave trader. Transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ to do this wonderful work of grace. He also would become a very strong abolitionist. He was utterly ashamed of his past and of his sin. He utterly repudiated slavery and every wickedness connected with slavery. He was married. He educated himself in Latin and Greek and the scriptures. And he became a minister of the, of the gospel of Jesus. This man, a hard man, a man who had been abused and beaten, a man who had seen it all, the depths of wickedness he had participated in, a man who had profited from the trading of human beings. And he becomes a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only God can do that in a man or woman's life. Only God can reach down to the bottom of the barrel and grab you and bring you up and use you for his glory. But John Newton had to respond and say yes. It took a man who could realize that he was, in fact, wretched. It took a man who had the courage to face the evil of his heart. It took a man who had suffered. I have not met yet one honest, serious Christian who has not endured real suffering in their life. There is something about suffering that draws the heart of a man to God. If you have avoided all suffering, you have avoided Jesus Christ. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. The scriptures say that when a man has suffered, he is through with his sin. Some of you have lived such a casual, easy, profligate life with a sense of being a victim, entitled. You've never had to face the reality of your sin. You have compromised at every hand. You have played with the devil. You've played with darkness. Some of you have gone to the strip clubs. Some of you go easily to the lounge where you drink and casually joke and laugh. Hook up with some man or woman. Deep in sexual immorality. Deep in pornography. You've never suffered because you've never said no to your sin. Suffering comes as we deal in the coin of sin. John Newton suffered in his life from, from early in his life because he dealt in the coin of sin. 
When you deal in the coin of the devil and you say no to it, you will suffer great sufferings. It took a man who was willing to recognize that he could not save himself. It took a man who was willing to finally face the reality that he was lost and hell-bound. It took a man who was willing to let go of his pride, his arrogance, his self-sufficiency, and at that wheel of that ship in that tremendous storm, powerless against the waves, washing the deck at any moment, threatening to turn that ship upside down and kill them all, facing how fragile his life was. He recognized he was not a strong man. It was all an illusion. And then he turned to God and said, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As he left behind his old life and he married, he and his wife immersed themselves in the scriptures. This is an absolute prerequisite for serving the living God of heaven. Many years ago, as I was struggling over my shallowness and struggling with what I was to do in ministry and how I was to work for the gospel of Jesus and crying out for the power of God, the voice of God spoke audibly to me. He said, if you want my power, read my word. And I began to devour the word of God reading from Genesis to Revelation four, five, six times a year. Just reading, 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 hours and hours and hours every day, just reading the Word of God, crying aloud for understanding, begging the Holy Spirit to come and quicken my heart and show me the gospel. You know what? You may think this strange. But the Lord has given me such incredible revelations of himself and of the truth of the gospel that I continue even today, constantly, first thing, crying out to God for deeper revelations of his glory and his love and his mercy, crying out to God, show me the deep revelations of Scripture and I want to tell you one of the revelations that was just given to me. It came unexpectedly. It came from a brother after a prayer meeting. He said to me, I've received an incredible revelation. When anybody says that to me, I quickly say to them, what was your revelation? And he, he took me back to the book of Genesis. And he showed me how the descendants of Adam you know, the descendants of, of Seth, all of them, their years were counted. This man lived this many years. He begat so-and-so, and then he died. But this man said to me, Cain's children 
their years were not counted. And the light went on. And I began to cry out, O oh God, let my years count for your kingdom. This man, Jobs, who invented the, the Mac computer, the Apple computer, and he invented all kinds of things. He was a very bright man. But before God, his years did not count for anything. It's all blown away. He was a, a wretched man. And he never came to know Jesus Christ. He never surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And so his eternity is an eternity of no meaning. Cast out of the presence of God. I think of others. Others who have committed suicide. Robin Williams made a compact with the devil. The devil gave him every success, but finally he turned to alcohol to still the voice of the devil. And finally, in desperation, killed himself because of the voice of the spirits of darkness in his mind. He could have simply surrendered to Jesus Christ. And the power of the blood of Jesus would have delivered him. But now his years don't count. Your years don't count if you are not a child of God. Your years are simply cast away, empty, devoid of any meaning. If you want meaning in your life, they must be years spent in Jesus Christ, you must know the Lord and Savior. You must not resort to this fatalism that says, I might as well die. I can't do anything. I'm hopeless. Everything is crashing around me. No, that's when John Newton cried out, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. Much of what we know today about the slave trade comes from John Newton's writings. Newton would become an ordained pastor, a servant of the Lord, a slave to righteousness and to the grace of God. He met George Whitfield and became a good friend around 1760. He became a disciple of George Whitfield. He later was also able to meet John Wesley, who was also an abolitionist. John Wesley stood steadfastly against sl the slave trade. And he and John Newton became personal friends and brothers in Christ. It was after 25 years of seeking the Lord God of heaven in 1779, at the age of 54, that Newton wrote the hymn that would inspire and touch millions of us. A decade later, in 1788, 35 years after he had retired from the slave trade, 
Newton broke his silence on the subject, publicly repented, and published the book, Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. He began with a deep apology and then described what he had witnessed during his years as a slave trader. Newton even went on to testify before the British Parliament on the immorality and cruelty of the slave trade. He continued to preach until the age of 82, the last year of his life. That year, he said, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. That I was a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. He died in London, December 21, 1807. Nine months after the Parliament had voted to abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. I don't want to even think about what would have happened had John Newton failed to respond to the call of God. What if he had seen himself as a great sinner who could not make a difference? What is it that gave him such boldness? A former slave trader to become a clergyman, a preacher, and to testify before Parliament, not only as a slave trader, but as a former slave. His hymn, Amazing Grace, has changed countless lives. It's said that he impacted profoundly every person he came across in his 50 years of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What if John Newton had hardened his heart and refused to surrender to Jesus Christ? Romans 14, verse 12, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God Each of us will give account to himself to God. The hour has come for you, my brother, my sister, to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is very near, nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, nor in dissensions and jealousies. Rather, clothe yourself, wrap yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This command of the Apostle Paul as he's closing the book of Romans in no way is 
indicating that you can continue to walk in your sin and expect to be slave expect to be saved just the opposite it's to cast off the power of darkness it's to cast off unrighteousness it's to suffer in the name of jesus and to stand up for the gospel of jesus christ now yesterday i shared with you a passage of scripture out of psalm 93 it says who will rise up this is psalm 94 Verse 16, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? It is time now for you and for me to stand up against the wickedness that is flowing in America, flowing from Hollywood, flowing from our government agencies, flowing from our world banks, flowing from the, from the Fed, flowing from the entertainment world. It's time to turn the television off. It's time to get serious with Jesus. It's time to turn aside from the things of darkness. It's time to find Jesus. It's time to have that second revelation of who Jesus Christ is. It's time to get serious with Jesus. If you're one of those today who are half converted, do not rest in that shallow, cheap place any longer. Determine now in your heart, you will give everything of your heart and your soul into the hands of Jesus. You will no longer be in and out, in and out, in and out. You will belong to Jesus Christ. And you will cast aside fatalism as a disease of Satan. I asked last night at the prayer meeting, how have you been fatalistic this week in regard to the gospel? It was a very intense prayer meeting. But as person after person came through in victory, recognizing how they had been fatalistic, Jesus gained the glory. I ask you, pray about this question. Where have you just given up? Where have you settled into your sin and just said, I can't make it? Where have you resisted the grace of Jesus Christ? Where have you said, no, I'm going to continue walking in my sin? I'm going to continue using it to salve my conscience to numb me out. Where have you walked in fatalism and said, I can't help myself? When will you begin to cry out, Oh God, save me. Oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, save me. When will you turn to Jesus with all your heart and all your soul and say, I must have Jesus? And then take that stand against evil and wickedness in our culture. Take that stand against those who walk in darkness with love and compassion, but take a stand. Don't participate any longer. grab a hold of the gospel of Jesus 
take it seriously. Awaken and know that our deliverance is near. Mighty God of heaven, I pray for each person who has listened to this broadcast. I ask that your work will be done in our hearts, that we will not be half-converted Christians, but utterly, totally, completely sold out to you. Die out now, Lord. Let us die out now to all of Satan's lies. Lord, encourage your people today. Minister your blood. Minister your Holy Spirit to your people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Thank you for listening. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. And God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Jesus loves you. I'll talk to you soon. Present you blameless Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless for the presence of His glory.